I always say that great leaders leave room for other leaders to lead. Great leaders leave room for other leaders to lead. And my dad is a great leader and he left room. He made space so that I could lead, so that I could get up to speed, so that Julie and I were ready to run when the baton was handed to us. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. It was a handful of months ago now that I got to visit West Palm Beach, Florida. And man, if you haven't been, you have got to go because it is just such a mind-blowingly gorgeous location. But it was while I was there that a couple people recommended that I go visit and check out Christ Fellowship Church. And they said, there's something special about this place. And so thankfully, I was there on a Sunday. And so I got to go check out one of Christ Fellowship's campuses. And it was everything that those people had alluded to and more. Truly, it was a beautiful facility, but you and I both know church isn't really about a place. It's about a people. And man, the people there, it was like they were energetic and enthusiastic. Truly, the greeters were uh, just so excited and so welcoming to the people walking through the door. And then whenever I went and sat down, it's like people talked to me and, and wanted to know where I was from and what I did. And people were actually smiling in church. Isn't that such a novel idea? And then the worship started. And man, I'll just never forget. It, it was done with such excellence and attention to detail. And then the message was presented in a way that was simultaneously full of depth and substance, but also it was accessible and powerful. And I just stepped back from that moment. I said, man, this is such a powerful Sunday experience. It's such a powerful worship service. And man, what an incredible example of leadership. Because what I later learned is that the experience I had on that Sunday occurred occurs at multiple campuses for over 22,000 people. That's their average weekly attendance every single week. And let's add to that the fact that Christ Fellowship Church on any given week has 3,500 people volunteering out of a pool of over 7,000 volunteers. And so it's become a place that I've come to respect deeply as a church, but also as an exemplary organization. And what was so cool is, you know this, typically with an organization like that, the ability to have access to and talk to the leader is, I mean, virtually impossible if they don't already know you. And that wasn't the case here. Uh, my friend Mike told me, man, Pastor Todd is just one of the most humble, down-to-earth guys. I know that if I sent him a message and told him, you know, you'd love to talk to him, I know that he'd be down just, just to meet you and shake your hand and see you on that Sunday. And I, I, I almost didn't believe him at first. I was like, are you sure? Really? That doesn't sound exactly right. But sure enough, the service ended and, and we got to go back and talk to Pastor Mullins for a little bit and meet some of the team members on the team as well and meet some of his family even. And I was just so blown away by truly the growth of this organization that I learned had taken place over the past several years. But even more impressive than the growth of this organization was the health of this organization. And I talked to a lot of people that acted like people and that really loved what they did and that were overflowing with a sense of joy and exuberance for what they got to do and why they got to do it. And I just saw so much in that that I said, man, I want to learn from that. And it was out of that that I made the request from Pastor Mullins, uh, just trying to see if he'd be one to be on this podcast. And he said yes. So what I get to share with you today is my conversation with Pastor Todd Mullins. Well, Pastor Mullins, thanks so much for making the time. We're looking forward to this. Uh, I'd love to jump in right off the bat with something that I heard you say on y'all's leadership podcast, which was just the idea that a, a healthy ministry always comes from a healthy soul. And, and so could you kind of conceptually unpack what that statement means to you and maybe even where and how you learned that statement? Yeah, sure. Um, well, our church, although it's large today, didn't start out large. Uh, like most businesses or organizations or churches, starts out small. Our church started out in my parents' living room with 20 people as a Bible study. And my dad uh, was a football coach, didn't even want to be a pastor, but we were as a family always you know, serving, volunteering in the church. And so pretty soon after this Bible study began to grow a little bit, uh, my dad felt God tell him, hey, 
quit your coaching job and coach these people spiritually. And and uh, we stayed small for a while, but man, when we started to grow, the church just kind of took off. And we really feel like if we could just keep loving people at their point of need and pointing them to Jesus, then he would take care of the rest. And then the church grew and grew. And now we've got, you know, 14 campuses all over the area and the ministry has expanded a lot. And if you're not careful, when your organization grows or your ministry grows, it's easy to kind of lose yourself and kind of lose your soul in the middle of that. And so one of the things we recognized from the beginning is that we had to make sure that we were caring for our soul, the inside of us, that healthy ministry is going to flow out of healthy people. Like it's going to take healthy people, healthy pastors to actually help other people get healthy. Uh, There's a verse of scripture in Proverbs uh, chapter four, verse 23, that says, above all else, guard your heart for out of it flows all the issues of life. Uh, It's it's like the the writer there is saying above everything else you're going to be concerned with, above everything else you're going to give attention to, guard your heart, guard your thoughts, guard the inside. Don't just let anything get in there. And I think it's amazing, Alex, how we uh, guard and protect a lot of things. We, you know, we, I've got password protection on my phone. We (laughs) have alarms on our houses and on our cars, all of those things replaceable. But oftentimes when it comes to our heart, uh, it's left completely unguarded and unprotected. And we let offense and hurt and disappointment and anything get lodged in there. And so it's important to remember that what's happening on the inside of you is much more important than what's happening on the outside of you. In fact, what's happening on the inside of you will often determine what's going to happen through you and on the outside of you. So we we work hard to help our team care for their soul. Uh, we work hard to remind everybody they got a soul, that they need to care for that soul. And just like a person cares for their physical body and we feed it, nourish it, and give it sleep, we've got to also give it time and attention to our spiritual soul. So that, that's, that looks like time away from the noise and the pressures of life. Uh, for me, it's that quiet time with God in the morning, that time of prayer, time of reflecting on his word and his truth. It just kind of puts everything else in perspective so that we can lead from a healthy place. Because I can't help anybody. I got to put my own mask on first, right? So I can help other people. Why do you think it is that so many people are so prone to neglect that? And uh, this is in some ways a a selfish question, right? Like I know that's the first thing that I'm prone to neglect. So why do you think that is that that's the type of thing that we believe is conceptually true? We should focus on that. But so often our actions don't align with that. Well, I think oftentimes we get caught up in the demands and the pressures of life and family and uh, work or the companies that we're leading. And those are always present and they're always there. And I think we sometimes I've fallen into the trap many times, Alex, where I've just like I've gone to go keep working at those things to check off my list to move something forward. One more meeting. But I've at at the cost of my own inner peace and my soul being healthy, staying healthy. So really, I, I, I think God knew this when he created us. He actually, uh, for those of you that are joining that actually are, you know, followers of the word of God, God prescribed the Sabbath, that seventh day that God rested. And then he said, we're to rest. And that Sabbath just means to stop or cease from our working. And it's amazing when we when we do that, it replenishes and refills and refuels and gets me better for the rest of the week. And I actually think it's a trust issue. I think taking that day off, taking that Sabbath rest, looking for things that refuel and refill our soul is actually trusting that, okay, God, um, I'm going to not work today. And I'm going to trust that when I'm not working, that you're still working. And even when I can't see it, you're still working. So I'm going to, I'm just going to not work today. I'm going to not answer emails today. I'm not going to not lead my organization today or company today or solve problems today. And I'm going to trust that if I take this day of rest and I actually reflect on you and your ways and your truth, that I'm going to be able to do more in the six days than I could do if I work the seventh day. And I think it's an issue of trusting God. But, you know, I think we're prone to wander. We're prone to pull away from that and think we've got to take control back in our own hands. And I think that's human nature. And so just recognizing that your tendency as a, as a leader, as a driver is to be out there, you know, pushing hard, getting it done. I've got some people in my life that I have given them permission that when they see me pushing too hard or it's been a while since I've taken some time away or break, that they speak into that and they help me recognize maybe some of the indications that I need to to pull back a little bit. 
Mm, that's really helpful. And I think that actually alludes to kind of the next question that I wanted to ask you is, I think sometimes we are unconsciously unhealthy in that it's like, man, I can be operating from a posture where my soul is just kind of torn and beat down and bruised. And I have no clue because I'm just so busy. And the thing that it needs is for me to not be busy, but I don't even know that it's hurt. So I, I just stay busy. And so do you have, uh, I guess, things that you've learned or practices that you engage in to just kind of keep your thumb on the pulse of how healthy is my soul and how healthy am I uh, with regard to these things that matter most? Yeah, that's great. So uh, one of the practices I have is in the mornings, getting up before the the day gets going and spending some time quiet with the Lord in prayer and just, um, and, and, and I put on some worship music. It just it doesn't be a long time, but I spend that time with him first to get my heart centered on him and really asking him to guide the day and speak to me about the day that is, you know, that I've got ahead of me. And and uh, it just prepares me for what's coming up, knowing I'm not relying on my own strength. I'm relying on his strength to see me through. But then to, uh, I guess, the times when you don't recognize that you're feeling maybe unhealthy, it's it's really having the people in your life that you've given permission to, to say, listen, I, I want you to help me with this. I know that I have a tendency to push too hard, or I have a tendency to drive myself or maybe my team or company too hard. And I need you to speak into me. I give you permission to do that. One of the ways I do that is I've got a, uh, a mentor in my life. He's a, a coach, a life coach in my life that I meet with every month. And every month he's asking me questions. How's my soul? How am I doing on the inside? And he asks questions that actually make me pause and reflect. So I can't just give him the, the, the pat answer. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. You know, everything's good. Team's good. I'm good. But I think he's talking about how much time have you spent, you know, on date nights with, with your wife, Julie? How much time have you spent with your kids this week? How much time have you spent, you know, off the phone and you've put it away and you haven't been answering emails and how you've been doing with your Sabbath? And so I've given him permission to ask those questions and to pry into areas because I don't want my life to, you know, go off in the wrong direction because I'm chasing after the wrong thing. I want to take care of the most important things, first things first. And I think as a leader, our priority is to set the example for the people we're leading as well. And so I don't want the people I'm leading, we've got a staff of about 400 and so people, I don't want them all burning out. I want them to go to the dis- go the distance. I want them to, to love God, love life, love what they're doing, love the people that they get to do life with. And so if I want them to have that, they actually need to see me modeling that in my life. I, I used to think they needed to see me working hard all the time. They needed to, you know, I needed to set the pace of, of you know, what it looks like to be all in, all out sprint. But I realize <laughs> what we're doing isn't a sprint. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not even a marathon, right? It's a, it's a, it's a relay. And we want to relay, pass this off to the generation coming behind us. And so to do that, we've got to have a healthy pace so people can run, keep running. Mm. That that's so helpful, and and in some ways a paradigm shift from the culture that we're surrounded by so often is the idea of a healthy pace. Uh, how about? I think everyone's had this experience where they have that morning routine time, and maybe it's prayer, maybe it's reading, reading truth, or maybe it's something else. But there's times where it's like, man, we get so excited about it, and it's just like every morning feels like this spiritual mountaintop experience. And then there's other times where it's just like, huh, it's another day. Yeah. What, what is, what is yeah. your advice for the huh, days? Like what, if you're sitting down yeah. pastoring someone that's in that stage, what's your advice to them? Well, I, I had to pastor myself. And the hardest <laughs> person that I have to pastor is me. Okay. I'm just, you know, uh, but there's many days where I go to pray or read the Bible or something, be alone with God. And I don't feel anything. I don't sense anything from it. I don't get anything from it, but it's the discipline. It's the, the consistency it's that over time where it actually produces something that I can't see at the time. Like if I go to the gym every day or at least, you know, five days a week, then over time I'm going to see a difference. Even if it's just for 20 or 30 minutes a day, or I just go walk for a little bit a day. Or if you cut out, you know, they say if you cut out sugar or cut out, you know, Coca-Cola or something for a long period over the course of time, you may not notice anything in those, in those days where you're really wanting a Coke and, you're feeling like things haven't changed, but over the course of time, you're going to look back and go, wow, things have really changed. So I remind myself that sometimes when I spend that time alone or that quiet time with God in the morning, I may not sense anything, but the discipline of going back to the Lord and waiting on the Lord and spending that time in prayer 
and reading the word, it's putting something inside of me that I may not need that day or that week, but three weeks from now, I'm going to remember something that I read or God's going to bring that back to my mind and memory. And I'm going to be able to use that for that moment. And so it's just consistently putting in the hard work or the discipline of it, knowing that in the long run, it's going to pay off. And so I have to remind myself because there's days I'm like, okay, well, that didn't, that didn't seem to do much good, but I know that, that it did and it will pay off in the end. Mm. I, I, I love too, that you kind of described how this starts with you, but it doesn't necessarily stay with you. Like you try to create this culture throughout the organization that's focused on a healthy pace. Um, we work mm-hmm. with a lot of business owners that it's like the issue a lot of times that the impact driven leaders we work with isn't that their team doesn't care enough. It's that their team cares so much that they will work 80, 90 hour weeks on end and not take care of mm-hmm. themselves. They will sacrifice themselves, their families, other priorities that really matter. I would imagine that ministry, the work being so important and the people you work with being so passionate that that can be really challenging for y'all as well. So how do you create a culture where maybe in an area or industry where it's not the norm, you're really focused on health and people guarding healthy boundaries and things like that for themselves? That's a great question. And you're right. Um, we have a lot of passionate people that will serve seven days a week if we ask them to, uh, but we ask them not to. We actually want them while they're here to work really, really hard. We expect our team to work hard, to go the distance, to go farther, to work as hard as the people that um, are volunteering in our church. And we have you know thousands of people that volunteer every week to make our church happen across all our campuses. But they work a full job and take care of the kids and do everything. And then they come to church and then they volunteer and serve. And so I ask our team to do that. But I also say, listen, we want you when you're away from here to be away from here, to have time with your family, your friends and life and enjoy it. So one of the couple of things we do to, is to help our team get their mind around this is we teach about soul care and, and, and how to practice that in our weekly staff meetings. So we have weekly staff meetings that really help us establish the culture of our church that we want to see. And so part of the culture is this core value inside out that our mark our life is marked by integrity from the inside out that that we want the we want to be bigger on the inside than we are on the outside so how do we care for and cultivate the inside so that it sustains and so we we'll, we teach on it we have lessons about it it finds its way into our the rhythm of our of our our lessons for our staff often and then we actually went to a, a, a we have, you know, we're our, as a church, we're very active on the weekends. We have services on Sunday. We have a lot of activities and classes on Saturday. So we actually have a Sabbath day. Our Sabbath day is Friday. So our organization shuts down on Friday. There might be a few teams that have to work on Friday to get something ready for the weekend, but the majority of our staff, we give so so we did that so that people weren't taking off all different times. And while they're off, other people are working and calling them and bothering them. We actually implemented this Sabbath day for our church so that emails stop, meetings stop, hopefully requests stop. Now we know we have people on call because you know ministry doesn't stop just because we're off on Friday. So there's people to take care of the people that do need something, but they're getting that another time. So we're pretty um, not fanatical, but pretty much about you know guarding and protecting that time off. We encourage people to take their, their vacation time, their time with their family. We're a very fast-paced, driven church. Like we're, we have a lot going on through the week. We're a very outwardly focused church. A lot of ministry happening in the community. But I always tell our, our team, I'm like, you know, you're you're before you're a a pastor or an employee at a church, you're first a follower of Jesus, and then you're a husband or a wife or a mother or a father, and that all comes before the work you're doing here. Now you got to do the work here, but that comes before. So when there's competing things for your time. We know there's going to be times that you have to work extra time here, but there's also going to be times when that kids, your kid's having a play and you need to be on the front row of that play and it's in the middle of one of our big meetings. And so as long as you let us know ahead of time that you're going to be there, that's exactly where I want you to be. And so even the, the, the senior leaders of our church that are they're given, they're going nonstop, they're able and they want to coach their kids' little leagues and, and do that and be there on the front. And I want them to be there too. And so it's really just this healthy balance of when I'm working, I am all in. But when I'm resting or when I'm with my family, I'm all there 100%. And we respect that among our, our peers in our organization. 
Mm, that's really powerful. And and I love that you hit on within all of that, the idea that y'all have a, a weekly team meeting. To clarify, that's like 400 team members all meeting in the same building once a week, correct? Yes. So we have uh, 14 locations spread out across about four or five counties. But that one day a week on Wednesday morning, everybody comes together. And during that time, it's really about um, uh, celebrating what God's doing in our church, through our the lives that are being changed. We celebrate wins. We, you know, win for one is a win for all. But if you don't know about that win, you don't feel like you're winning. So we're celebrating even the smallest little wins over there. And it also helps an organization that's spread out feel like they they know a little bit more about what everybody else is doing and how they'd be in on their on what's going on in their lives or their campus location. Uh, and it's also a very strong. Um, we, my wife and I look at it as a very clear culture drop. Everything that we do. And how everything is crafted around that time is really all about making sure that we're building the culture strong. Mm, that I mean, like that's a pretty massive investment, both for the people that are driving. I mean, you've probably got people that are driving upwards of an hour to an hour and a half away to come to this meeting. Is that correct? Yes. So we have uh, our farthest campus is an hour and a half, hour 45 away. So we have people from that community driving a team. They'll drive together down, but they're, they'll they probably got such a unified team the fact that they're carpooling every week too that's so awesome so i i think there's so much power in this i I guess i would love to know like what does success look like for that meeting like when y'all hit a home run within that meeting what what is Mm -hmm. a picture of success and then what are the things that y'all learned from that meeting that you're like oh this is something that doesn't belong in that meeting or this is something we don't do in that meeting because it can be accomplished in other ways Okay, that's great. Yeah. So we do that. Let me start where you where you finished Uh, things that are just basic training tools. We will not do that in that meeting. Uh, Those can be done by video on trained up. We can send that out. They can do that on their own. We don't bring them down or bring everybody together just for basic training. There are some uh, training that's a little bit more. We need to see them eye to eye. We need to let them experience the training. Those kind of training events will take place uh, on that Wednesday when people come down. But the primary focus of Wednesday is we bring everybody together for a time of prayer, worship. Of course, we're a church, so we want to kind of get everybody's heart focused on God. And many of them are ministering over the weekend. So for some of them, this might even be their uh, their worship service for the week. And so we'll take a little bit of time of praying, praying what they're going through. I want to, again, pray for them because they might be going through some things in their lives that they just need a pastor to pray for them so that they can turn around and pastor and help people. So I'm, I'm tuning into the needs of the team. Uh, we'll take time to share good reports uh, that morning. And they're very, uh, we want to make sure they're the right good reports coming from different ministries across the campuses and all the different locations. So they feel heard and valued and we can celebrate that. And then there's always a lesson that we teach that either helps to reinforce uh, one of our core values, or usually more importantly, teach and train on our leader values. And our leader values are really something that we defined a few years back. We, uh, when we were really focused on how do we, de- how do we design the culture? And maybe I could just stay there for a minute because I would say a win is when the culture and the team is strengthened on that Wednesday. When actually we walk away from that meeting and go, oh man, the culture just got like more defined. Everybody understood what we're aiming for. And you know, every, every church, every, every business, Every organization has a culture, either by default or by design. And by default is just, it's left up to whatever's picked up, whoever has the strongest personality, whatever's left undone, or it's by design. There's a very clear purpose. There's intentionality. There's accountability. And I believe as leaders, one of our most important responsibilities is to design and define the culture. And Mm -hmm. so the biggest way that I do that is as a leader, you got to be the culture. Like you can't build something that you are not. So if I want a culture that is life-giving, then then I gotta be a, I've got to be a life-giving leader. If I want a culture that is generous, then I've got to be a generous leader. If I want a culture that's positive, then I can't go around being negative and critical and picking things apart, or I'm gonna create people that are negative and critical. So the first thing is I gotta be that culture. And then secondly, I've got to be obsessed with defining it and designing it. And that's what happens in that meeting on Wednesdays when we gather. We, we define it. We articulate it. We have lessons that's built around these leadership values. As an organization, we realized, uh, like most organizations, you have core values. These are the things we believe. And a lot of times, similar industry has similar you know, core values. If 
I went to churches or several churches that would have similar core values that we have. Mm. But there were these other things that I wanted to see on our team and the way that they were leading themselves or leading their teams or leading volunteers that I wasn't quite seeing. And so we realized there's actually um, these leader values that we defined on how we do what we do, how we want our team to lead their people, how we want our team to do ministry on the weekend so that it's consistent from one location that might be three hours away from another location. And we, so we created these 10 leader values in our organization. Uh, They all have key stories around them. They give a, you know, great picture of what we mean, key lessons, because we know that we all, you know, you replicate what you celebrate. Mm -hmm. So we make sure we celebrate the right things in those meetings. And so our goal would be in a staff meeting that at the end of the day, one of those leader values has been reestablished with clarity in our team. And actually we now have lessons that they take away and they can teach to all their teams uh, of volunteers because the 400 people just represent thousands of volunteers that they're all leading across the organization. Wow, that's so powerful. Oh, uh, you don't have access uh, to those 10 values offhand, do you? That you could just share with us what they are just to have examples? Well, um, I don't have them right here. I give you. I could give you a couple of them. I know a couple of them from memory. One of them... Um, uh, let me uh, let me unpack one of them. Okay, so, uh, that'd be great. One of them is we 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 create environments that are full of it. Okay. Now, <laughs> sometimes if you, if somebody said you're so full of it, uh, that could mean something derogatory, right? But uh, around Christ Fellowship, that actually means that's a good thing. You're full of it. Uh, there's a verse of scripture in the Gospel of John, chapter ten, where Jesus said, "I have come that you may have life and have it to the full." And that word full means abundant, more than you could imagine, overflowing, fun kind of life. And so we want to create, we tell our team, we create environments that are actually full of it, full of faith, full of family, full of fun. So we define what each one of those are. So we would, in a a lesson uh, that we might give to a group of volunteers, training them on what this looks like, is we would say, listen, full of faith, that means that when you come to church on the weekends or you start to meet with your small group or whatever you're going to do, you should be so full of faith, full of expectancy of what God is going to do and what God can do, that if people get around you, they might be faithless or low on faith, but man, your faith is actually going to fill them up. So by the time they get done praying with you or hearing hearing you pray, man, they're ready to take on the week, right? So we'll, we'll tell stories in the Bible about when the disciples that they, they had faith for somebody else that couldn't maybe believe because they had been with Jesus. And we'll say, well, you've been with Jesus. So there's things that you know and things that you've seen that maybe people walking in our doors haven't seen and they don't know. So you can have faith to believe for them what they may not even know that they can believe for themselves. Mm. And so we, we're going to be a place that's so full of faith that when people show up on the weekends, that their faith might be running low. They might be disappointed in what's going on in their, in their life. But man, their faith is going to be built up. They're going to borrow some of our faith. And then we'll say we're going to be a place that's full of family because we believe that church is not just a building that you walk into. It's a family you belong to. Hmm. Family means that you're loved and you're accepted you know, just the way you are. So we work hard to craft and create places where people can be who they are, like wherever they are in their journey. They're loved and they're welcomed here, which means... They can believe, they can belong before they believe. They can be a part of our family before they believe everything I believe. We just want them to feel loved and cared for. And I believe that speaks to one of the the greatest uh, longings that we've been created for by God is a place to belong. Like, so we want this place to be a place where everybody can find their place. Doesn't matter what they've been through, what they're going through, where they are in life. And so because of that, our church is very diverse and diverse in where people come from and their experience and their journey, even with God. So full of faith, full of family. And the last one is uh, full of fun. Uh, We believe that church should be enjoyed, not endured. Mm. Too many people have endured church, boring church for (laughs) so long. You know, we want when we want when they show up here, this is like the best hour and 15, 20 minutes of their week that this hour actually helps set the tone and the pace for the hours to come. So that changes the way we do kids ministry. That changes the way we do student ministry. That changes the way our greeters greet. That changes. Um, we, we, we want people to be so encouraged when they walk through the doors because every day they are spending courage to go to work, go to school, to deal with what they have to deal with. So we want to fill them up with courage, with encouragement. And so that defines how we what the, what the environment should feel like 
when they're walking into it, or even how you throw a volunteer party. We have big volunteer parties at our church uh, just to celebrate them and maybe cast some vision for the next season. But we don't just have a meeting. Man, it's a party. After we have the meeting in there, we, we're outside and there's bonfires and there's dance parties for the kids and there's donut walls. And I mean, we just, we want this to be a place that everybody goes, man, I just, I come there and I'm loved and it's, I want to be there. Like I want kids to wake their parents up on Sunday mornings going, we got to get to church because what's going on there is so awesome. So much better than school, man. We want to capture their hearts and attention. So that's, that's one of our, you, know, <laughs> you mean can, you're not going to do all 10, like a rollout, just like you said. <laughs> I, that's one. And that's the short version. Like I, we have a 40 minute lesson just on those three things, right? You know, like another one is um, we are uh, thermostats, not thermometers. Mm. And so we talk about the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. One is just reports on what's happening while the other one is constantly working to adjust and change the environment of the room. And so yeah, all of those unpack to help people, help our team know what we expect of them, which then sets the culture that we're trying to define. And if I can systematize that, and then I can get it out across all of our campus to all, because we'll have 3,500 volunteers that serve on a weekend that are all getting trained on the same leader value every week. Oh, I mean, that's that's unreal. And so that was getting my, my next question is you're not just training staff on this, you're training volunteers on this as well. And I think you said you've got 3,500 volunteers serving at any given time during a week, but then out of a pool of like 7,000 volunteers, is that correct? Yeah, we've got about 7,000 active volunteers on a month. So in the course of a month, those 7,000 volunteers, some of them volunteer every week, some of them volunteer once, once a month or twice a twice a month. And they're amazing. We could not do everything we do as a church without those men and women being who they're called to be and using their gifts to teach and to pray for people and to help people and everything from serving coffee and parking cars to discipling and helping people become who God created them to be. Man, I, and I just so appreciate you sharing that example of, of kind of what I know it was a, a shortened in some ways or more concise version of what a values lesson looks like. Because one of the principles that we talk about all the time on here is language creates culture. And I think so often people are talking about things that, uh, whether they call them this or not, represent values, or they talk about principles that they really believe their organization should stand for, but they say the same thing in a billion different ways. And whenever I hear you give that modified lesson that you just gave us, I'm like, oh, wow, this is not his first rodeo. He said this before. And in my mind, like I could picture a reality in which you probably have volunteers that are repeating some of those go-to phrases as it relates to this leader value. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you could you could show up at our the, the leaders of our volunteers that are volunteers uh, and ask them, what are your leader values? And they could rattle off, out of the 10, they could probably rattle off most of them. Like, hmm. what I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play. We cultivate black gold. I mean, I could, and they, and they, they may not be able to give the whole lesson, but they know the big idea because they've all had to teach it. So our staff isn't teaching the volunteers. Our volunteers are teaching the volunteers. So we take the lessons that our staff is hearing all the time, and then we uh, reconstitute it in a way that the volunteers can share it on the weekends or on Wednesdays. And then it's also sent out in like article format to them. And so it's a constant drip of the same thing worded, like you said, Words matter, and we have carefully crafted the words of what uh, of what those values are because the words mean something. It's very intentional. Oh yeah, I mean, and you've upped the ante now because I feel like people could use the excuse to be like, okay, well, Pastor Mullins, he's a world class pastor that has to communicate every single Sunday. But now you just told us, well, the volunteers are teaching this as well. So yes. I mean, you like communication is is one of your gifts, right? And I mean, I was on a road trip with some of my friends, and I told them, hey, I'm, I'm uh, interviewing this guy for our podcast coming up. Can we just listen? to one of his messages uh, here while we're on the road trip. And they were all down for it, which was really cool. So we listened to one of your messages. It was one of the, it was part of the No Days Off series that you did. And everyone just left with like, oh man, that was such a powerful concept, but also it was so concisely and powerfully communicated. So that's a credit to you as a communicator. If someone is in a position where they're maybe a CEO of a landscaping company uh, that is operating in multiple 
locations, or we've got a guy that owns an excavation and infrastructure company with people spread all over the state of Maine, or we work with a woman that uh, leads a network of charter schools with teachers spread all over the state of Michigan, and they know it would benefit them to get good at what you're talking about right now, to get really, really good at defining and teaching the same things over and over again so that they can be reproduced. But they're like, okay, but I'm I'm not a world-class pastoral communicator, and I don't even know where to start. Do you have any just base level advice that you would give them on defining and teaching these things? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's John Maxwell is the one I think who coined the phrase, everybody communicates, few people connect. Mm. And if, a, if all of us realize that, you know, you don't have to be standing on a platform or uh, speaking in a podcast to try to connect with people. It might be you want to connect with your kids. You might want to connect with your five employees. You might want to connect with your spouse. <laughs> uh, that's a good thing. So those understanding what leads to connection so that your communication is effective and not just more noise is really important for, for all of us to figure that out. There's two disciplines that I've worked on uh, in this area of trying to make my uh, communication, actually connect with people. The first one is knowing who I'm talking to. You got to know your audience. You've got to know what they're going through. You've got to f- understand what's happening in their lives. So you understand what's important in their lives because people don't remember what we think is important. They remember what they think is important. So you've got to know what's important to them so that they can remember and you can s- speak to that. So, you know, I'm constantly working to get to know the people in my organization. I'm constantly working to get to know my team better, my staff better. I want to know what's happening in their lives. I spend a lot of time on the weekend praying with people at the front of the church, at the altar area, or after service in the lobbies, because I want to know what's happening in their lives. And it's so easy for leaders sometimes to get removed from what is really going on in other people's lives. Like if if, if, you're, if your marriage is great and your job is secure and you like the people you work with, you're probably living in a bubble from where many other people are. And so spending time asking questions, listening to them, um, you know, you could even just say, hey, what's happening in your life? What's what's going on? What's concerning you now? Hey, if I think about you, how can I pray for you? And those questions actually open up doors for you to know how to really get to know them. And then you're able to actually speak to them. I, I remember one time, Alex, I was going in to speak at a, um, at, uh, we have two campuses, uh, two additional campuses in a state prisons. And so I was going into the state prison to, to talk. And it was my first time going in, in there to, to preach. To these <laughs> Just a little nerve wracking, maybe. That's a little different than the normal Sunday. <laughs> normal. Yeah, they couldn't get up and leave, which was, that was good. They, they had to listen to the whole thing. But as I'm standing by the door and they're walking in, I'm a little intimidated. And I'm thinking, okay, Todd, you've got it. You got to get to know these guys. Like, if you're going to connect with them, you've actually got to figure out how to build a bridge to their life. So, I just started as they were sitting down. I'm going around asking questions. There was one guy, a young guy named Ronnie, that I, he told me about his dreams. He was getting out in about five to seven years and what he was going to do when he got out. And I was able to work some of Ronnie's story into my lesson that I was teaching. And all the guys instant, they all knew Ronnie. And the fact that I knew Ronnie made them feel like they knew me and that I knew them. And all of a sudden there was this connection in the room and I was able to communicate what I came there to communicate. But it took that extra effort of actually asking questions and and getting to know the people I was talking to. So really, again, whether that's your staff, whether that's your neighbor, whether that's a, a company event you're going to to speak at, if you can get to know who you're speaking to and really know what they're going through, then you can adjust what you want to say to actually speak to the needs that are in their life. That's the first thing I always do. Every week I'm working on that. Mm. The second thing I work on is to keep it simple. Educators often take something that's simple and they make it a little more complicated. And I think (laughs) great communicators take things that are complicated and make it really simple. Our job is clarity, not complexity. And so if we remember that when we're speaking, we're trying to make things simple. Um, It was Ralph Waldo Emerson that said, uh, uh, to be simple is to be great. Hmm. And I think sometimes we think simple is simple, but simple is great because everybody can get it. They can walk away and go, oh, I I know what they're talking about. So yeah, a measure of a great teacher isn't what that teacher knows. uh, It's what the student knows as a result of what the teacher knows. And so one of the greatest compliments that I get um, is when somebody (laughs) tells me, you know, oh, you know, they may not even be, you know, in church very much, or maybe they've been church a long time ago, and they go, I could understand everything you said. Like, I understood what you meant. It made sense to me. So my job isn't to try to 
come off very, I'm not trying to be deep and complex and confuse the audience. I, I want them to be able to get it so they can take that truth and that truth can bring freedom in their lives. So I work really hard to keep it simple. And in keeping it simple, I think all of us could work at saying less. I mean, I have to constantly be editing down what I'm trying to say. Um, I, I heard someone once say, you can hardly go wrong uh, by keeping things short, uh, but there are a million ways you can go wrong by talking too long. Mm-hmm. And so bringing that down and just simplifying it. Um, I think TED Talks have really shown us that 18 minutes is is really long enough. I mean, sometimes um, when I have to preach a shorter message because something else is going on in the service, people come up and go, that was the best sermon you ever preached. And I'm thinking that was a devotional thought. It was hardly a sermon, but it was enough that they could grasp the truth and hold on to it. So know your audience and really work to edit and keep it simple. That's really powerful. Are there uh, communicators that you really admire that have served as role models for you as you've kind of grown in this and become, I mean, just a professional in this arena? I don't feel like I'm a professional. Thank you. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I, I mean, you're doing it every think, Sunday. Uh, I, it's pretty impressive, man. And I, I watch the tapes. You know, I think I think winning teams watch the tapes. So I would also, you know, encourage those of you that are listening that um, if you speak and or have to speak, and even if it's your first few times out, or you know, you, you don't do it all the time, uh, if you can go back and watch the tape, listen to the recording, you'll actually pick up on things that you didn't realize you were doing. You'll find yourself saying, oh, I I said, uh, too many times, or I was moving my hands in a weird way, but watch the tapes. My dad being that old football coach, he constantly (laughs) watched the tapes of the games. And I I grew up watching him watch tapes, rewind, play, rewind, play. And they were looking, where was the fumble? Why did they, why did the snap go wrong there? And they were learning every over and over again. So the next time, maybe they wouldn't make that same mistake, but if Mm -hmm. they never watched the tapes, they'd never figure that out. So, so man, constantly be, um, watching the tapes. What was the question again, Alex? Yeah, just communicators you really admire or people that you've learned from on the topic of communication. Well, I think uh, we have the, John Maxwell is a part of our uh, teaching team here at Christ Fellowship. It has been, he lives in the area and a personal, um, you know, mentor to me in this field of of leadership and communicating. And he's just brilliant. He is so relaxed. <laughs> like how many people would give their right arm to be able to say the sentence that you just said? <laughs> it's like, oh, he's right. on our well, teaching it was, team. It was, it was interesting though. I was just beginning to teach more when he and his wife, Margaret, moved here. And he would be on the front row while I was trying to learn how to preach and teach. <laughs> what Alex, you can imagine, this was frightening. Like I'm up there going, why is John Maxwell on the front row and I'm on the platform? This is wrong. And it intimidated me the first few times. Like it still still does, to be honest. But uh, but I had to go, wait a minute. I need to, I need to turn this around. And instead of being intimidated or because uh, he's not intimidating, he's one of the nicest guys. Mm-hmm. I just decided every time I'm done, I'm going to go straight to John. I'm going to ask him for advice. And so I would always go to him. He always had something nice to say, but he always had one or two things to kind of uh, coach me on. Mm-hmm. And he kept coaching me on this one thing for a very long time until I started to get it. He said, Todd, you've got to slow down your pace. You've been thinking about this for a long time, but the people listening, this is the, maybe the first time they're actually embracing or thinking about some of the things you're, you're talking about. So slow down, let him get it. Feel free to say it again. And he said, there's, there's power in the pause. And I think just watching John and the way he slows down, the way he's very relaxed, the way he makes everybody, he's not got nothing to prove. He just really wants to help the people that he's talking to. That comes across whenever he shares. And I really believe that also is a, is a way for people that are wanting to communicate to just remember, if you start to get nervous, uh, remember two things. Um, it's, it's not about you. It's about the people that uh, you're you're talking with, you're sharing with. You want them to to grab a hold of truth, something that's going to help change their life. And so, if you focus on them instead of yourself, you're not going to be nervous because if you are nervous, your focus is in the wrong place. So I always, whenever I start to feel a little nervous, I'm like, okay, I don't need to focus on myself. I need to focus on the people that are here and making sure that they get what they need. And so, first of all, it's not about me. And then the second thing is, I got to remember is I just got to be me. So I, d- I don't need to try to be somebody else. Mm. I don't need to try to be John Maxwell or another great communicator that I admire, but I just have to be me. And if I'm comfortable in my own skin and in who I am, 
then that's going to come across authentic to the people that are they're hearing and they're not going to be like, wait, why is he talking differently now that he's on the platform? So I try <laughs> to keep that right. Wow. Very cool. Is there a, a leadership principle that you've learned from John Maxwell that has been the most personally transformational for you? Yeah, I think that the greatest leadership lesson that I've seen from John, and I've been able to have the privilege to to travel with him when he's gone to countries to help uh, nations that are trying to build their leadership culture, their Christian leadership culture. And I've watched him genuinely care about people. He is always focused on the other person, how he can help them, how he can how he can add value uh, to their their life. And I remember one time he said in one of his books, um, a successful person. Uh, finds the right place for themselves, but a successful leader finds the right place for others, mm. like constantly looking to help and serve others. And when you're doing that, then you're fulfilling what God's created you to do. And I've seen him do that and seen him care genuinely for people. And it's really brought leadership into perspective. Mm. That That's really helpful that it's not just something you've heard him say, but it's something you've watched him do. That's a pretty compelling idea. I, I think shifting gears a little bit, and you were kind of talking about kind of the role of your dad within the church and that he started the church and then eventually it transitioned to you taking more of a teaching role. And then it's, it's a pretty remarkable story. And kind of sadly, it's a little bit of a rare story that uh, succession has occurred at Christ Fellowship in such a way that you are now, uh, you and your wife are leading this church and he is still attending and y'all are still friends and the church still loves him too. Like that's just, I mean, that doesn't happen that often. And so my assumption is that wasn't on accident. So I'd love to know like what were some of the things that y'all focused on really, really deeply intentionally to make sure that succession uh, occurred the way that it did? Yeah, I, I would love to talk about this. And I love my father. He is a great, he and my mom are great leaders, great people, still very active in the church, still very leading and present. He has certain roles he's doing in leading the next generation and helping with some of our leadership college training and some of our land acquisitions. He loves that. So he's still very much a part and, and he's my pastor. So he's my uh, spiritual leader and and I look up to him, have my whole life. So it's been fantastic. Um, we, yes, I have, I have actually served on staff at Christ fellowship for 37 years. So I came back from college, started serving. I was my, uh, I was the first, um, worship leader, youth pastor. I was my dad's secretary. I washed his car. <laughs> I did everything. Church was real small, right? So I got everything done by about two o'clock in the afternoon that I could think of doing. And as the church has grown through the years, uh, I've just, I've been able to grow up with it and grow up serving my dad in that role of like an executive pastor. So I was able to launch some things and, and get some muscles of my own uh, in serving. But 11 years ago, my wife, Julie, who was serving actively in like children's ministry and worship ministry and the creative arts, uh, we stepped up as a senior pastors and we did very intentionally architect that. So uh, five years or so before that transition, we started talking about it. Dad started talking with the elders about it, key influencers in the church. And my dad actually transitioned really before he needed to. Like he, he, he's a coach, so he's already young at heart and young in spirit and vision. And he wasn't done at all, but he knew I was ready to, to go. And so he always says, if, if you were interviewing him, he would say the time that succession needs to happen isn't when the person that's leading is ready to leave. It's when the next leader is ready to lead. And so you've got this transition zone when you're passing a baton and both uh, the runner that's running into the transition zone and the runner that's running out of the transition zone need to be up at full speed and the same speed when that transition happens. And it needs to happen within that zone. And if it doesn't happen within that zone, that team can be disqualified. Or if one runner isn't ready to run and they're handed the baton or they drop the baton, they're going to be disqualified from the race and not be ready to go. So I always say that great leaders leave room for other leaders to lead. Great leaders leave room for other leaders to lead. And my dad is a great leader and he left room. He made space so that I could lead, so that I could get up to speed, so that Julie and I were ready to run when the baton was handed to us. Now, also in that time, because it wasn't very, it wasn't, we didn't clearly define it. We didn't say it was going to be on this date. So for those years, we're talking about it. I'm getting up to speed. I'm leading more of the organization. We went through a uh, what ended up being an 18-month co-pastoring where he and I were co-pastors. And at that moment, it was mainly for the organization. Uh, he was very present, leading on the weekends. 
but in the week he was present but not leading. So he had already turned the leadership over to Julie and I internally with the staff and new adventures and new things we're going to try. Uh, and then we began that transition. So I just, I think when you think about it, all of leadership is really about transitioning. Leaders have to see the change that needs to happen. Leaders have to prepare themselves and prepare the people that they're leading for that change. Leaders that are listening in today, they're, you know, leaders are always looking down the road. Leaders are always looking for ways to help other people grow and take on more leadership, constantly modeling and mentoring and then motivating other people to lead. You're, you're, uh, you're constantly looking for ways to give your job away so that as a leader, you can take on the next assignment, the next role. So every, every company that starts out small, every business or organization that starts out small, you're raising up, you're doing something, and then you're passing that on to someone else so that then they can do it and then you can take on the next thing. And so we just took that same principle of transition in leadership and applied it at the highest level of the organization. And, and it was a seamless, we took our time with it. It, was, it worked out you know, perfect for the church and the church continued to grow strong through that. Um, but I think a lot had to do with the way my dad led it. I always say that great leaders don't hold on to power. They work constantly to give it away at every mm. level in the organization. Like if I'm if I'm trying to hold on to power right now or hold on to authority or decisions, that doesn't make me a great leader. And it doesn't help me develop leaders. I'm developing followers if all I do is give them tasks or assignments. But if I actually give them the authority to make decisions in an area and run with it with my you know, mentoring and, and still there to coach them, but I'm letting them make that decision. Actually, giving the authority away and the organization is getting stronger as we keep moving forward. So I think one of the jobs for us as leaders is to normalize change and not try to keep things the way they are, right? Because mm -hmm. change in an organization that if your organization is going to grow, a change isn't optional, it's inevitable. But the problem is most of us resist change unless it's our idea. Now, if it's our idea, we love change. <laughs> but if somebody changes something, or we weren't a part of the conversation, we're like, wait, why did you change that's that, right. right? That's right. So as leaders, if we can get comfortable with change, normalize change, there's a great book by, uh, it's an old book, Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a book called Necessary Endings. Great book. I read this book repeatedly because it helps me as a leader be okay with normalizing change. I, I love that book as well. That book is probably one of the top five books that literally changed the way that I act in certain areas. And I always just make sure I'm careful yeah. about who I'm carrying that book around around because I'm like, I promise I'm not, yeah, right. I'm not doing anything. I'm not firing anyone. I just am writing this just to make yeah. sure that, uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, okay. Alex, let me say, let me say one more thing about, about of, the transition that was really important. Yeah. And I would just say this, um, Communication is 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 paramount when it comes to change in an organization. You want to over communicate because when we when we didn't communicate is when things got a little bit confusing. When we hadn't communicated to the staff for a period of time what was happening, they weren't sure if things were okay or everything was fine or was moving along. If we don't communicate with the congregation or the organization you're leading, they'll start writing their own stories or their own script. And so we wanted we over communicated. That by the time we actually transitioned, we had people in our church that was saying, I thought we already did this. Like I, <laughs> I, I, this, <sighs> yeah. And then when we transitioned, I had just finished preaching a series in the weekend. And then the next weekend I had dad preach and I sat on the front row, even though I had just transitioned into the senior leadership role. And that brought stability to the organization. Like everybody's like, oh, okay, everything's going to be fine. So I think if, if you, if you take time, you're intentional, you're intentional with your communication. Um, it can actually strengthen their organization to see this change happen. We saw the church um, the year Julie and I stepped in, it, we grew younger immediately. I think it just wow. had to do with Julie and I were younger and it attracted younger families to the church. We grew by 2000 people in one year. Our church surged forward just in that year. Again, I don't think it was me. I think it was just that the organization changed and there was a freshness that came some fresh vision, some fresh um, uh, projects that we were working on, fresh expression of church. And all of a sudden people latched onto that and we saw more people step into faith. Wow. I, I really appreciate you highlighting 
the topic of communication, the importance of over-communicating. We have so many CEOs or presidents of organizations that we work with that are in the throes of this. And one of the things Mm. that we've seen come up as a challenge for the people that are in that position or in that situation is they will start the act of communicating like, hey, I'm not always going to be here. We're starting to put together a succession plan or a transition plan. And they start communicating oftentimes years ahead of time what that's going to look like and things like that. They're trying to be really intentional. But in some ways, it's just that, you know, their gifting is they've got a vision for the future and they're thinking about it every day and probably have been for the past decade. And then they're also just very imaginative in nature. They're leaders that they can see certain things as possible that maybe some of the people they work with don't see as possible. And so a lot of times they'll run into kind of a narrative inside the organization where people say, well, it's never going to be the same after that person leaves, or or I don't know how this organization is going to continue after so-and-so is gone, things like that. Do you have advice for those people in that it, it sounds like in some ways your dad inspired trust in you within the organization? Any thoughts there or advice that you would yes. get from your experience? Right. He absolutely did that. He, he, uh, he shared with the kind of the key influencers in the church. Any organization has key influencers. Uh, and so if you get to them and you just you give them time to process it and to share, then they're going to get on board. And I think the fact that my, you know, my dad wasn't going anywhere. He was still going to be actively involved and actively involved with some of the larger givers and influencers in the organization. He stayed, he's friends with them. So he stayed friends with them. That didn't change. Second thing is I was, I've been around for 20 years before mm-hmm. the transition happened. So I wasn't uh, somebody coming in maybe that they didn't know. I was a known entity. I had exercised leadership in the organization so they could see it and he could point to it and go. So I would say if, if, if you're transitioning and somebody isn't a part of the organization right now, get them in early. Give them time to get their own legs under them and prove themselves to the organization and to the shareholders so that people see that and they go, oh, he, this person's bringing value to our organization, I can I can trust them beyond just somebody uh, saying you need to trust them. So I think I think those two things really helped. But again, we communicated a lot. We didn't mm-hmm. communicate a lot to everybody far out, but we started communicating to the elders, key influencers, staff, and then when we got up to about that eighteen month window of period, that's when we just announced it. So for many people, that would have been the first time they heard that we were beginning this transition. Mm. Very good. Well, we're going to include all of the resources that we discussed on here, but also links to, to y'all's church. I know y'all do church online and y'all have a vibrant community online. And also I listen to y'all's Nexus Leadership Podcast and it's primarily a ministry leadership podcast, but I found so much value in it. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, before we go, final question for you. We work with so many people that Certainly not everyone that's listening to this podcast believes what we believe, but there's a lot of people that do and that are followers of Jesus Christ. And one of the questions that we constantly see coming up is, how do I, how do I bring my faith into the workplace with me? And what's the proper way to do that? And I just love to hear from a pastoral perspective. Obviously, it doesn't have to be a hyper-tactical answer, but what are your thoughts on people bringing faith to work with them and how that plays out? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm actually getting ready to preach a series called Made for Mondays. And it's actually how God has created you for Monday and for work and that work is sacred and holy. And what uh, what the, the, the CEO does is just as sacred as what I do as a pastor when we do it for God. Whatever you do, there's a scripture, a passage in the New Testament, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not as working for men. And so when you go and you're a school teacher for the Lord, or when you are a banker for the Lord, when you do that work, but you understand everything I do, I do for God, then all of a sudden your work takes on a holy mission and a holy purpose. It reframes uh, what work is all about and why work is good, not a bad thing. And so maybe they can, we'll, we'll eventually get the link to, to that uh, series for your the people that are listening as well. But I, I would encourage people uh, just, if you, if you allow, if you ask God, for those of you that are followers of, of Christ, ask the, the light of God to shine through you. People are searching, people are hungry. And if you take time to care for people and just pray for people, ask them how you can pray for them, sometimes that just opens up the door for you to be able to step across and share faith with them or to answer questions. And really, it's not about trying to convince anybody of anything. It's about allowing the love of God 
to flow out of our lives into the lives of people and God's love will draw them. Now we got to be ready. The Bible says with the, the reason for the hope that we have on the inside of us. So if somebody asks you, Hey, why are you always happy when everything else is going, when you should be upset, like you should be mad at that person, but you've forgiven them. Well, then you got to be ready to say, well, I've been forgiven of so much. I mean, God has shown me so much mercy and kindness that, yeah, they, they shouldn't have done that. I'm not acting like I'm a saint or anything, but I'm not going to hold that against them. I'm going to let the love of God shine through my life. So you got to be ready with that answer, but you're not trying to force it down anybody's throat. That's not our job. It's not even our job to convince anybody of anything. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But our job is to be ready to share and is to be ready to constantly let our light shine uh, before other people that when they see our good works, when they see our life, when they see the way we love and the way we help and the way we're generous with people, that man, that's going to make them take note and turn their attention to God. Mm, man, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, Made for Mondays, that's one heck of a sermon series title. We'll definitely put the links to that in the show notes as well as soon as it's out. So, uh, well, thank you so much for your time today, for your investment and willingness to pour into our audience. And then the other thing that I just want to thank you for is it's so neat that in some ways, I think the content that's been part of this conversation has been honestly really impactful and powerful for me. I know it will be for our audience, but in some ways for me, it's not a surprise because I get got to come visit Christ Fellowship and y'all's church just, just for two weekends, a handful of months ago. And I got to talk to a handful of y'all's members and I, I got to meet you very briefly and I met your dad and it was just like, oh, it makes sense to me that all these things are alive and well and that they're focusing on the soul health of their staff and that they're focused on creating a culture that's hyper-intentional in their organization. And so, yes, thank you for the content, but I think even more than that, just thank you to you and to your whole team for living it because it sets just an incredible example. Well, thanks, Alex. Well, I believe that our faith in God better make a difference in our world. So it should actually it actually needs to be active and, and, and make a difference in people's lives and make a difference in our community. So I'm glad that you picked up a little bit of that when you were with us. Thanks, Pastor Mullins. God bless. Well, I'm so grateful to Pastor Mullins for his insight, for his humility, and just for the way that he communicates truth in a way that is simple yet profound. Uh, Y'all, if you want more content like the content that we put on this podcast, we send out an email every single Wednesday called Worth It Wednesday. Um, it's a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can read it in under two minutes. And then we also send a video that elaborates a little bit more on the principle that's at play in that specific email. Uh, Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah.